this morning. Amen. Our text this morning is from Matthew 16. I'm going to be looking at verses 13 to 20. And this morning, um, I'm going to want to make sure that I'm not out of the frame there. Um, I'm going to be reading from a different translation. Let me give a little explanation to this translation. It is called the First Nations Version, New Testament so far. Um, it is written for uh, Native Americans from North America. Uh, actually, it, it, it is a, um, a peer in ministry that Denise and I know that actually wrote this. Um, because Native Americans, especially those in the First Nations, uh, you know, manifest destiny was a pretty awful thing, meaning that there were white Americans that came into North America and said, you know, it's God's destiny that we have this land and it's okay that we drive you off of it because God's on our side. So when they heard the gospel for many of them, they believed in Creator, but this Jesus that many people talked about, they didn't really want to hear about. Does that make sense? And there's a reason for that. So part of the ministry of those who minister among First Nations peoples, and my wife and I, especially more my wife than myself, have actually spent time working with folks that come from this background. Um, oddly enough, Fort Wayne used to be called Kikianga. It was a, one of the largest uh, capitals of Native American peoples in the country. It was right here. It's, literally can't see it from day to day, can you? But this is from the First Nations version of the New Testament, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. When it comes to the naming of individuals, it will sound Native American because that's the intent, okay? They journeyed on and came into the territory of the ruler of the horsemen, Caesarea Philippi. This territory was ruled by Chief Looks Brave, Herod, under the authority of the ruler of the people of iron. Caesar. There was a cave, a deep, bottomless pit there that was called by the local people the gate of the dark underworld of death, Hades. This was a place of bad medicine and lying spirits. When they came into this place, Creator sets free, Jesus, asked the ones who were walking the road with him, who do people think the true human being is. Hang on here. What are they saying? His followers looked around at each other and then back to creator sets free, Jesus. Some say gift of God, John, who performed the purification ceremony. They answered others, the great spirit is creator, Elijah. Or even lifted by creator, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He then lowered his voice and spoke in a more serious tone. So tell me, he asked them, how do you see me? Who do you say that I am? Silent faces stared back at him. They began to look at each other. They looked down on the ground. Uh, the moment of truth had come, but no one dared speak. But then suddenly a voice pierced through the silence. You are the chosen one. One who hears, also called stands on the rock, Peter, answered, the son of the living creator. Creator sets free. Jesus smiled at him and said, one who hears, Simon, 
son of wings of the dove, Barjona, creator's blessing rests on you, for flesh and blood did not help you see, but my Father above opened your eyes. For this reason, I've given you the name, stands on the rock, Peter. And upon this rock, I will make my sacred family strong, and the powers of the dark underworld, death, Hades, will not stand against them. I'm giving you the authority of Creator's good road from above. The things that you do not permit on earth will be what Creator has not permitted in the spirit world above. The things that you do not permit on earth that you permit on earth will be what Creator has permitted in the spirit world above. He then instructed his followers not to tell anyone that he was the chosen one. Amen. A little different reading of the scripture, right? And by the way, uh, it's, it's our friend. Uh, his name is, is uh, Terry Wildman. Sorry, honey. I, I was, it was right there a second ago. Terry Wildman. And uh, so it's, it's just, I think it's good to read translations from different versions because it opens up our, gets us out of the monotony of familiarity. Um, so I wanted to begin this morning, the title I've given the message this morning is Right Confession or Right Application. Now, recently, I'd say recently, somewhere in the last three weeks or more, Denise came in and said, I need to print out a recipe. And so what that means is, Ben, I need your office for a second. And so I said, no problem. I'll just go do some other work that I've been doing on your computer, which is in the dining room. And so while I was doing some work on her computer, um, I had this, this brilliant idea that struck me. Um, I thought, I wonder, I wonder if I could find that perfume that we haven't been able to find for my wife because, you know, her birthday is somewhere down the road here, not too far away. Now, we don't do birthdays, but I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing to do, to surprise her. And so we had looked before, haven't been able to find the exact type of perfume that, now why do companies do this? You know, you get one, brand, one, one type that you like and then they decide to, what do they call it? Just stop making it, right? There's a name for it. But anyway, they quit making it and then suddenly the bottle of perfume that you spent, you know, 10 bucks on is now they want 100 for. So, um, I, I, I typed it into the computer search engine, and boom, it pops up. Now, this is the, it, it's called Escada, was the name brand. And so, and, and it was a specific type of, of her perfume, and right there in living color on my screen was her perfume. Now, the, the, the large bottle was beyond what I could rationalize. Like I said, I think they wanted over 100 bucks for, the, for that one. But there was another one, it was a smaller one. And I thought, now typically, this is the way this works. I'm, I, I would have said, hey, babe, what do you think? Should I go ahead and get it? But I thought, I'm going to surprise her. So in, a, in an impulsive moment of spontaneity, which doesn't typically happen for me, I click purchase. Now she's printing, and I'm trying to get through this thing as quick as I can, right? 
it was the right name brand. It was the right perfume. Now, when I got to the payout portion of this thing, I noticed something changed a little bit, but I'm like trying to get this thing done, and she's even talking to me while I'm trying to finish up really, really quickly. And I finalized the purchase, and I'm thinking, hey, you know, a smaller bottle of what she likes. Maybe she could travel with it if she needs to, and I'll be a hero for a day. I will have impressed my wife. So, I'm waiting, and I, I specifically sent the notifications into my inbox, my email inbox, because that way it wouldn't go to her. I mean, typically, things that we buy on eBay wind up in her inbox. I, didn't, I worked it out that it would come to me. And then the day arrived this past week that there was a package that arrived through FedEx or something, right, FedEx? And uh, I, I come to the front room, it was just sitting on the, a little table there. I said, oh, what's this? She said, Denise said, well, it's addressed to you. And I thought, oh, it's there. And I picked it up, and it was light as air. I thought, mm, not a good sign. So I go to open up the envelope, the bubble envelope. And uh, as I open it up, and I dig around into this big bubbled envelope, all I find is a tiny little box. And in this tiny little box, I open it up, and all that was in there was a tiny little bottle <laughs> that big. Okay? You can see the similarity, right? Here we go. First time on the internet. Yeah. So I thought, I thought I was maybe getting a little bit smaller version of this. And so, so I, you know, I'm in the other room trying to sneak around. And Denise said, what, 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 what is that? And, and then she hears me saying, oh, man. And so then I walked in toward her. She said, what, what, what's going on? And I, you know, I have it in my hand. I, I, as I'm walking toward her, I said, now, honey, remember, it's the thought that counts. And so I walked up, and I opened up my hand, and I said, here she goes. She looked at it. She smiled, and then she just busts out laughing, <laughs> laughing hysterically. And then she said, it's not even the right type. I said, oh, oops. So she said, well, and then she just kept laughing. And she said, now, oh, honey, it, that's, I, I really, how much did you pay for it? I said, it doesn't matter at this point. Ah, I was so deflated, you know. I wanted to be impressive. Okay, I've been married for 40 years, but I know the importance that once in a while you want to be impressive. Now, um, I did provide a good laugh, right, honey? She's still smiling and laughing about it. Um, her husband's trying to be the hero, and I noticed it sitting on her dresser, by the way. Barely, you know, I was looking across and thought, oh, there it is sitting on the dresser. So I'm assuming that you put it there to provide you a smile, every, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm deflated because all I got her was this tiny little bottle. Um, anyway, here's the point. The bottle was never the point when it comes to perfume. Am I right? It's the aroma of the perfume that's supposed to be the point. Not what is visible, but something invisible and yet able to touch the senses. Think about that. 
in a day-to-day life, perfume isn't meant to be seen. It's something to be experienced that leaves a pleasant aroma. Put too much on, that's not so great. Now, I tell that story to expose you know, myself in that, in that sort of thing. But, but really what it does is it, it tells the truth about the world that we live in. Here's what I mean by that. We live in a world that gives value and worth to impressive. You understand what I mean? Quote, unquote, impressive. Um, it may not have anything to do with what's actually true. But if it's impressive, we're going to take note of it. If it's impressive, we'll notice. And ours is a world, which, and this is, this is what we need to give deep thought to. We, we, we look and we give stage to that which is impressive. We give the loudest voice and allow the impressive to define what is good and beautiful and true. And often, it has nothing to do with what is good and beautiful and true. Just because someone is able to do something impressive, accumulate a bunch of stuff, dollars and cents, who knows how they got all those dollars and cents into their bank account, but suddenly they have a platform? And they're the ones defining what is good and beautiful and true? And Jesus comes into that world our world. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes to face these false systems. And beloved, this is the incarnation to reveal what is good and beautiful and true. Right? Amen? In the room? Right? The love of God in a world ruled and dominated by what's impressive. And dominated by the powerful, he comes to reveal the unchanging reality of self-giving, self-emptying love and forgiveness that wasn't about just a bigger sword than Rome. Jesus comes in poverty in a world dominated by wealth. He comes without a sword in a world ruled by the sword. In a world where we, they had concluded we need wealth, and power to bring change, Jesus comes with none of this to reveal what's good, what's beautiful, what's true. He's revealing a government that that later he says hell itself cannot overcome, a government that heals, restores, makes whole, and fills the earth with the aroma of life in the face of death. And that is good news. Amen? See, in our text, it is a, I want to say a familiar text in that we may have heard this. I've repeated this confession many, many times. What's the good confession? Well, let me think here. Matthew 16, here's the good confession. Well, let's, let's begin really with where Jesus begins. 
and that he brings his, his, his friends, if you've got that, those, those pictures there, he brings his friends to a very specific place, Caesarea Philippi. Why? Well, let's, let's put on our thinking cap for a moment. Now, this is a present-day picture of Caesarea Philippi. It, it sits at the base of Mount Hermon, thinking cap on. Mount Hermon, where do we first hear about Mount Hermon? Abraham has a vision, and God establishes a covenant with Abraham on Mount Hermon. This is a place where, they, where, where any of God's people would have said, this is a sacred place where God established that he's going, to, he's going to bless us as a people to be a blessing, that God is intending for this incredible, beautiful, sacred relationship between God and man. And it, it's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's got the largest spring that feeds the, the River Jordan. So this is the source of water for almost the entire nation. That spring comes out of a cave. So at the base of Mount Hermon, here's a cave. And this water, this spring's coming out, and it's verdant. It's a beautiful grotto even to this day. But here's what's interesting. By the 3rd century B.C., this cave has become the center of pagan worship because it was called after the god that they worshipped, it was named the God of Pan. Now, the God Pan was uh, the God of Panic. And he was identified. You can see him on ancient coins. Half man, half goat. Goes around playing the flute, scaring people. Now, that's a quick, easy sort of version. There are many variations of it. But by the third century, Greeks have raised up a temple an open-air sanctuary to offer sacrifices near this cave so that their life would go well. Are you beginning to see the picture of this? Mount Hermon, the gates of hell, offering sacrifices so my life could go well. And so when Rome takes over Israel, they install a king, a Jewish king. He's kind of a puppet king called Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great... Uh, is, a, is a great politician more than anything. Now, he's doing things to try to please the powers that be as well as the people that he's supposed to be ruling. But one of the first things that he does to please the powers that be is that he, he puts up a temple, not to the god Pan, but he says, uh, you know what, Let's, we're going to honor the ruling emperor Augustus. And we're going to call this place, we're going to name it after him, so it's to recognize the power and the dominance of the government of Rome. So, wait, we've got economics, we've got power, we've got religion all intersecting here. And, and, and when Herod the Great dies, he passes on his empire to his children. He breaks it up and he passes it along. So the northern part of his empire, which is where, where this is, his son, Philip the Tetrarch, renames this city. Now, when, it was, when, when the Greeks were worshiping there, they called it 
Banius or Panius after the god Pan, and then it gets renamed after Augustus, but then it's Philip the Tetrarch that says, nah, we're going to give this a little bit more egocentric name. We're going to call it Caesarea after Caesar, Philippi, me. So it's now Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is standing in the grotto that represents the power systems of the day, of history, pagan gods, politics, power, wealth, all that represented Rome, even Jewish history. You know, it was Philip's dad, Herod, who built this great temple in Jerusalem that had become the center of Jewish worship. And remember, based in law worship, they were reminded as a good Jew, a follower of, of God that they were reminded often what was forbidden and what was freed, what they were forbidden to do according to the law and what they were freed to do. And that often got them into some trouble. So it's here that Jesus says, who do these people say I am? Well, some think you might be like John the Baptist, but remember he got his head cut off for, for declaring what's true when other people were trying to redefine what was true. Some people say a prophet. Some people say Elijah. More pointedly, he says, who do you say that I am? And it's here then that, that, that we have Peter's confession, you're the rock. Peter's confession, not you're the rock, but you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus' response, Peter, you're the rock. And by the way, there's two different words that are used there. A lot of, lot of church tradition that gets mixed up in Peter's confession. When Jesus says, you know, blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven upon that rock, I'm going to build my church, and they think it means the person. And, and, and Jesus actually uses two different words. One is for Simon, which means little rock. And he says, upon this rock, huge rock. Two different words Jesus uses. I'm going to build my church, the sacred family, and make them strong. So the rock isn't Peter as a person. Or even Peter's, quote, right answer I want to submit to you that it was that Peter had rightly located the Messiah when he was literally surrounded by false messiahs, false saviors. We make a lot out of having the right answers, don't we? Being, quote, right with our words. Um, I, I remember in public school, now I, I grew up a little bit different than most folks in that I grew up with immigrant parents who were still learning the language. So here's what that meant for me. My mom and dad didn't sit with me and do my math homework. They didn't sit with me and do my, my English studies. They, they expected me to do it. So I remember in, in public school, when I was handed a textbook 
And we first few years of, of my journey, like four for me, it's three or four years. I was in Christian school, then we went to public school, and you know, I think it was like my second year of public school, they handed me a book. And do you know what I found out? The math book had the answers in the back. Yes. Don't tell mom and dad. All I gotta do is consult the back of the book without anybody seeing, right? Now, before ever any of us laugh about this, um, I have a, one particular daughter who, you know, as she said, I didn't learn anything in, in math class, Dad. I just watched it on YouTube. That's the back of the book for today's generation. But here's the misery that I discovered not too much longer after getting this book when the, the teacher kind of made it clear. This is a paraphrase of what she said to us. Sharpen your pencil. You will not be tested on your answer. You will be tested on your work. How did you get to that answer? You can turn to the back of the book. I already know that. What I want to see on your piece of paper is how you arrived at it. Now it's frustrating. I actually have to do the work. Show me the work. I said this a while ago. I have rehearsed Peter's confession with countless folks. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Love of the good confession, it's awesome. But can I say something? It's like a little rock. Because it isn't the point. The point isn't having the right answer. The point is applying it. It's one thing to have the right answer. It's another to apply it. Here's my paraphrase of what Jesus' words were to Peter, to you, and to me. Good answer, little rock. Now show me your work. Choose to surrender to my leadership when every other system around you, surrounding you with promises that will, they say will deliver, attempting to inform you about what is good and true and beautiful. Oh, wait, we live in that world, don't we? It doesn't have to just be an advertisement that pops up in a streaming service. It's just in front of us all the time. Jesus is saying, I'm revealing life that is greater and more powerful than all those systems. But wait, watch this. I'm the one who says, blessed are the poor. When you're living in a world that says, blessed are the rich. I'm the one that said, blessed are those who mourn and lament. I'm the one that said, blessed are the meek, the gentle, when we celebrate the powerful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. I think Jesus actually meant what he said when he said that. Every form of injustice is a form of hell oppressing men and women. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Oh, wait. Ugh. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of justice. Can we leave that one out? Jesus 
came to reveal a life that isn't about these systems that we've known. Life that's not dependent upon those systems. Life, watch this, that isn't even diminished by suffering. In fact, he reveals life through suffering. That's what the cross was. Behold, I'm, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I have heard this sung, rehearsed, quoted in 30-second quotes in so many different shapes and fashions. The keys of the kingdom. As if, if I just get a hold of them, I got something really powerful. It means God's bigger and better, right? Well, I'm, what we're going to look at in next week's text that we'll hear about next week, Jesus actually clarifies it. Um, by the way, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom, which means I'm going to a cross, and if you want to follow me, that's where you get to go too. I'm going to bind myself in love to your worst in suffering and death and be raised up on the third day. Who do you say I am? Show me your work. It's time to apply your confession. You know, I, I think many times, let, let me just own this. Let me just own this personally. I don't want to say it. I'm not. So many times, confession has been mostly at times just about having the right answer. Uh, kind of a, you know, dare I say even just a Sunday morning thing or a, or a quote, you know, time during worship kind of thing. And, and I want to submit that in changing the world, we're going to have to trust that this isn't so much about the little rock of our confession having the right answer, that we know the right answer, but rather the huge rock of surrendering to the leadership of Jesus in a one-at-a-time response of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to follow your leadership. Change my heart. Change how I actually live. Show me your work. It's about addressing the gap between knowing the right answer and living the right answer. It's about believing that every real-time response to the leadership of Jesus in my life is, is actually where the kingdom is revealed. Not in some amped-up response that says, we got the keys, look out. If we have the keys, lay down your life. Interesting. The text begins with Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? And it ends with him saying this. This is why I build, I'm, I'm hammering on this so hard because where it begins and where it ends, where the text ends is Jesus saying, who do you say I am? Oh, blessed are you, Simon, son of Arjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven, man alive, I'm going to build my church on this. I'm giving you the keys, the gates of hell and heaven and hell, what you bind on earth. Oh, Wait, that's not so much about you powering up. We'll look at that here in a second. 
But, but watch. Jesus ends it by saying, don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. What? I thought we we're supposed to go and tell. How does this add up, Jesus? It seems weird. And here's what I want to submit to us, is that I believe what Jesus is saying is, don't just repeat the right answers. Maybe, maybe Jesus is not so interested in the correct answer as what is being formed in them, the kingdom. Because interestingly, we'll see this next week as well. Peter was the star student. He was impressive. Blessed are you. Star student. Hold, hang on, because next week what we're going to see is, in just a second, he gets to be called Satan. Just a few minutes later. Okay? Oh, no. Peter went from the right answer. Peter, it's not just about the right answer. It's about a shift of your life. It's about surrendering to how I'm inviting you to, in, to embrace what your life is about. And maybe... Maybe he's looking for the same from us. Our, as we talked about last week, one at a time responses. I love that phrase from Walter Brueggemann. Saying yes to self-giving, self-emptying love and forgiveness. That his kingdom is most visible, not in our impressive things. Not by the power systems of success and domination. Look at how much we've done, but in love and forgiveness. This is from John Caputo out of his book, The Cross and the Cosmos. So the kingdom comes locally, temporally, intermittently, episodically in our particular circumstances through what we bind and what we loose. Now follow this. The kingdom comes and is actually here, is really here, Whenever we love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, pray for those who abuse us, turn the other cheek to those who strike us, welcome the stranger, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, forgive the offender, give to the beggar. Now listen to this phrase. The kingdom is not a reward for these works. The kingdom is these works. Am I actually applying the aroma of the kingdom in my life? Or am I still trying to impress somebody? It's a daily question. Part of my daily prayer, I, I, I pray this nearly every day, is the prayer of St. Francis. Oh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. See, We've been given keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. Again, another pastor, uh, Michael Marsh, says it this way. We can stand up every day and declare that Jesus is, quote, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But what difference does it make if we are not loosing people from injustice, racism, hunger, poverty, guilt, shame, fear, and anger? 
What difference does it make if we're not loosing people to go in peace? What difference does it make if we're not binding ourselves to each other in love, compassion, forgiveness, hospitality, healing, hope, and prayer? What difference does that make if we're not binding up the brokenhearted? I don't think... Let me me just say it this way. I, I don't, for me, I don't want to just give the right answer. I want to be the right answer and to do the right answer. Beloved, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus in this text comes into the midst of false systems. Graphically, vividly. Systems that were trying to say this is what's good, this is what's true, this is what's beautiful. In that world, dominated by those systems, he reveals what is good and true and beautiful. Self-giving, self-emptying love and forgiveness. Not just a bigger sword, but laying down his life. Revealing a government that even hell will never be able to overcome. A government that heals, restores, makes whole, that fills the earth with the aroma of life in the face of death. And that is good news. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage us this morning. Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray this closing prayer with me together. Would you pray this with me? Let's pray this prayer. Lord, give us courage to follow the way of your cross and to trust that though it confounds the logic of the world, Your way interrupts the patterns of sin and death both now and forever. Lord, enable us to heal the broken systems. Equip us with wisdom and foresight. May our lives interrupt injustice with your grace. Amen and amen. So as we come to...